You're listening to The Jazz Session with Jason Crane. Since 2007, the original jazz interview podcast. Jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. Today is May 19th, 2021, and this is episode 557. Today's guest, cellist Helen Gillet. As you might be able to tell, especially because I don't have a windscreen for my microphone, I am outside. I'm in Greensboro Bend, Vermont, which is up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, sparsely populated, very beautiful. I traveled up here to visit a friend, and I loved it so much that I decided to make this area my home base. If you've been following along with my van adventures at all, you may know that my healthcare is based in Arizona. I have Arizona State Medicaid. That's the only place it works, though. And I plan to spend most of my time on the East Coast, so I've been looking for a state to switch over to that was closer to where I'd like to be. And Vermont uh, turns out to be the place. So I am... Uh, I've got a P.O. box. I've joined the local library and the co-op. <laughs> I'm working on my driver's license, all that good stuff. And I'm parked uh, on my friend's farm at the moment. So that's all pretty cool. Uh, will I still be traveling? Yes, I will. I don't exactly know what things are going to look like going forward. But as always, what allows me to keep eating and all that good stuff is your memberships. This show exists because folks like you become members. So please become one today at 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. When you join, you'll get immediate access to more than two dozen bonus episodes just from this season, Track of the Week episodes, which go out every Monday to members, where an artist talks about one of their albums. You'll also get at the $10 level those plus an extra monthly bonus show. So please do join. Helen Gillet and Jeff Coffin have a new duo record called Let It Shine. Jalay, welcome to the Jazz Session. Thank you so much, Jason. It is a super pleasure to have you here. We are we're going to talk, I'm sure, about many things, but we're going to start off by talking about a duo recording and and partially a trio recording that um, has just been released with you and Jeff Coffin. And I'll just mention that Jeff has been on the show and he's in the archives. If folks want to check that out, the album is called Let It Shine. And maybe we can just start with the origin story. How did this album come to exist? 
Well, I had a series here in New Orleans that was a solo set followed by an improv duo set called the Plus One series that I was doing for a couple of years. And I invited Jeff to come in as my plus one. He, he was able to squeeze it in in his busy schedule. And because I, I was so curious what would happen if the two of us were let loose in completely free improvised world. And I really selfishly just wanted to hear him improvise, you know, um, and he agreed to it. And I was so thrilled that sparked the idea for a duo recording. He got inspired to write a lot of music for us. And a year and a half later, he came to town and we played our first show together. And then we decided to record. I went up to Nashville and recorded. A pandemic hit and we just finally finished uh, the album, you know, for release this past year. So the reason I know Jeff Coffin and was able to give him a call for that series is through a mutual friend, Tim Green, who introduced us, who's an incredibly important person in both Jeff and my life. Jeff admired him as a saxophone player, uh, and I um, also worked with him in my first jazz trio with Doug Garrison on drums and Tim Green on saxophone. And he introduced us one time when Jeff was in town, and uh, the rest is history. first played with Jeff did you did you have any expectations for what for what it might be and how did it 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 meet or differ from them I'm, I'm curious about that yes so I'd heard him in his um, in his big saxophone uh, touring ensemble the motet and I'd heard him perform a couple times in New Orleans and I just might you know my jaw dropped to the floor with what he was able to do in a, as far as a, being a composer and curator. I'd, of course, I'd heard him with Dave Matthews' band, and I'd heard, um, but I, that was the first time I'd heard what he was doing in, on his own, in his own vein and his own impetus. I was still up-and-coming jazz musician myself. I was just hungry for a lot of different sounds, and I, I went and heard him, and I just really, really loved not only his playing, but the cur- curatorial component of his personality and his stage presence and his ability to lead a group. And I really admired that. And I just wanted to hear him strip down like what, what he had more of a, a, in the, is, as an improviser, because my background at that point had been years and years of improvising with a lot of uh, players that were stretching out and trying different sounds and players from, you know, Europe and, and the U S and, um, 
well, and, and all over the world, really, uh, through through the New Orleans improv scene and Chicago, especially um, working with a lot of players there. And I just I just wanted to to hear what he had to offer uh, as a solo artist. And I just wanted, you know, I just wanted to understand his his playing, his improvising. And he and he kind of blew me away with his vulnerability on stage his he's super humble and yet such a such a badass <laughs> and and strong player but also just have having these really beautiful meditative qualities of his music as well um he's a really deep uh kind of spiritual person and i ju- i was just really interested in his approach to music generally uh, to both be a, just such a strong player and such a, a solid player and composer and also just be this sort of very um, empathetic, sensitive, and spiritual player as well, which also makes sense that we our link is Tim Green um, because Tim uh, was not only a dear friend to me, but just, just a great teacher of, of life, you know. And I feel like Jeff, uh, for me, is, is somewhat... Um, in that vein or taking, taking a, in his own way, a, a role in my life in that way, just a, a good friend. And, and uh, we, you know, at this point we're good friends and, and I just really appreciate how solid he is in his music and how, how adaptive and willing to take risks he is. And, and I think I was, I was kind of coming from a very gritty improv free improv background, but also, um, classical and I think both of those things were things he was really interested in adding to his sound as well so it was it's been a very very beautiful journey for us I resonate so much, and I I want to bring this back to you, but just uh, uh, with what you're saying about Jeff, um, very long-time listeners of this show will remember the the Jazz or Bust tour that I did back in 2012 when I was touring the country by bus and interviewing people who were making music outside of New York. And uh, I ended up in Nashville during part of that and ended up meeting Jeff. And then before I knew it was like being whisked to lunch with the Wootens and then over at Jeff's house to record an interview on his porch and then out with he and his wife for dinner. It just seemed like once you kind of got into that orbit, it was very embracing and uh, immediately felt like, you know, I'd known him for years, even though I'd known him for hours. And I I really always appreciated that uh, about the way he he treated me back then. So just a personal reflection. Absolutely. Great and incredible person to both of them, both him and his wife are wonderful people. 
So when it came time to record Let It Shine, can you talk about how you put together the music for this? Yes. So as I mentioned, Jeff wrote a lot of these compositions. Uh, They're mainly his compositions that he's never written for cello before. So this was a very uh, beautiful challenge for him. And language developed as we as he discovered how to write for cello and then which horn he was going to play for each song with me. And I think he basically threw everything he had at it because he wanted to try all the different timbres and how they related to cello. And as he did that, I was also my, my skill set and, and exploring, you know, mind ended up meeting each of these instruments with a, slight change of timbre in how I played the cello or what I decided, how I decided to approach his compositions. I've been a New Orleans player for a really long time. I've been a, um, I'm also raised in three continents and I've had a lot of music in my ears and a lot of different uh, cultures to adapt to. So my, my, my happy place is when I get to uh, challenge myself in that way and be exposed to things I haven't, heard yet or tried yet and and to have a whole album where i you know a lot of the songs even within the song i'm I'm playing with a bass flute and then all of a sudden you know all of a sudden switching to a, a clarinet and and then you know the timbre of the soprano and there's there's a a great mental um journey that goes through this album from my point of view working with him and and i think a lot of it was a timbre and counterpoint exercise. Um, so we were we were really uh, trying to find each other's sounds and um, and both of us adapting because I'm I'm an adaptive cello player. I'm not just I don't just stick to my one sound and let him come to me. I, I definitely been trying to find find what what best textures will fit with each instrument that he's bringing to each composition and each mood and it. It's been. It was really fun to work on it that way. I also am using looped electronics as textures, um, sort of, for lack of a better word, right now. It's early, but uh, Brian Eno te- textures. You know, like just sort of background, uh, beautiful layers and um, sort of atmospheric strata in the background, and sometimes leading rhythmic looping. I don't do a lot of that on this album. Just a little bit here and there, um, and that was a fun fun thing to add to the to the mix because Jeff had heard me doing my looping during that first initial series and he got the idea that not only could we play more classical and stripped down counterpoint compositions duets with each other but we could also create a, a more you know orchestral sound or multiple lines with the looping and we wanted to try it. We didn't know how it was going to go in the studio, but some of the things worked well. Some of the other things we thought, well, maybe we could get away with a couple overdubs, you know. <laughs> but mo- it was really fun to explore that too. And I'm, I'm at the point in my, my looping where I, I'm fully aware of how annoying looping can be, and I've <laughs> made a, I've made a point. I've made a, I've tried to make a point to make <laughs> to keep looping as fluid as as a French chanson or as a, you know, as my, as my favorite, like, you know, jazz recordings, which is fluid, free, 
and and where you don't you don't know what's going on you 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 know you're not aware of the magic trick you know it's just part of the part of the song so that's that's how I approach looping at least I try to I really strive for that so it was very important for me to either like nail it or or not but you know Jeff challenged me and I fell on my face a couple of times and I just like tried to and I love that I, you know I grew I grew in this project too to see see how looping can be you know I basically tested my chops on some of the stuff because I was in a situation that was right on the line between free and composed most of the time while we were recording, which is beautiful. Very challenging line to, to walk. I think many jazz musicians can relate to this. Um, when you're between, and even classical musicians, you know, when you are learning a piece and you're reading it, as opposed to having it memorized and being free with it and letting go. And and when you're in a, a jazz setting, time and time again, I've been in this situation where I've been reading a piece of music and all of a sudden it goes, you know, it, it has a moment where we, we all go free, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's either going to sound horrible or there's going to be some sort of, uh, or, or, or the, the spirit of the, the song is strong enough that everybody's on the same page and we're communicating and, and uh, understanding sort of the vibe and, and it works really well. Um, challenging to switch brains i think sometimes it's easier to just start in one mode and stay in that mode um and and but of course you know as you as you evolve and hopefully progress and as a musician you get better at surfing all of that stuff just like i was mentioning my loop pedals become part of my foot like a bass drum pedal for a drummer who's a well-seasoned drummer you know i i feel like um my right foot is doing its own thing now as I'm playing the cello and looping. I'll either use it 5% of the time during a performance or else 95% of the time, depending on what I'm playing. But it's just part of the, part of my, my uh, instruments, you know? Um, But same thing with improvising and playing more classical, playing more true to the page, sort of surfing between those two worlds. The goal is to keep that very fluid so that it feels like one big composition and you can't tell what's composed and what's not composed. Let's take a quick break from the interview as we listen to The Breeze and I tell you about membership. Don't forget, becoming a member is super easy and it's not very expensive for you and it is incredibly life-changing for me. I make my living because people like you switch over from listeners to members. It's super awesome that you listen, but it's even better when you join. You can go to patreon.com slash thejazzsession or thejazzsession.com slash join. There take you to the same place for five dollars a month you get early access to every show plus bonus episodes every single week the track of the week episode in which an artist tells you about one of their tracks and also uh, gives you a little insight you know kind of into the recording of it and then you hear the track itself and then at the ten dollar level you get that plus you also get uh, an extra monthly bonus episode so please do become a member today at the jazzsession.com slash join now back to the show Thank you. 
Just to explain my uh, my my looping reaction, uh, like you, I have uh, I have had experiences all over the looping spectrum, and the one that uh, comes to mind the most, uh, both you know, awful and good. But I remember once um, I was uh, working at an indie rock station, and we had a live concert series on Friday evenings, and this sing- uh, solo singer songwriter came in. Uh, who whom we had seen many times before and he just usually played guitar and sang and he came in and he took out a looping rig and I just remember the engineer and I looking at each other just like looks of horror on our on our faces just thinking like <laughs> oh my god what's about to happen and it turned out he was an absolute genius at it it wasn't like well here's five minutes of me building a loop and then the song will start he was a real real genius at incorporating it and we were suitably amazed but I I just wanted to. That's why I laughed out loud when you said the thing about looping because it really does it really does run the gamut. And actually, you said something which I think is is really important about this album, which someone who like me did you know hadn't read anything about the record and just saw okay I I know it's a duo album with these two people. What you hear versus what you might expect, at least I'll just speak for myself, was was vastly different. You know, I thought okay, there's a wind player and a cellist and. You know, I can imagine there'll be some lovely stripped down counterpoint and that kind of thing. The The album is so full. There's so much and so many different things happening throughout it. There are, I mean, even just like looking at your role, there are so many different positions in the music that you occupy throughout the course of the album and often out the, throughout the course of a song or at the same time, you know, during one of the tracks where, you know, you're both filling a a role that maybe a, a bassist would fill and also using loops to create these textures and also playing uh either a melodic line or an improvised piece uh with Jeff and it it's re- it's really impressive because of how seamless it is and I think if you didn't know that it was just two people you could easily think it was several different people who all play the same instruments you know creating this ensemble sound it's just it's really seamless and I and to me it was very it was very surprising and in a really good way. It just it had a lot more a lot more to offer than I might have gone in expecting just based on the instrumentation. Obviously, I know you're both fabulous players, but Thank you. Yeah, I I'm you know, you said that so beautifully. I appreciate I appreciate that um very much because I certainly um feel like this album was able to in, encapsulate both of our personalities and also something new that we create when we're together. I, I there were moments where I really hear Jeff Coffin and his sound, and I could tell you, you know, and and I and I, there were moments where I really hear the Helen Gillet sound of the loops and everything, and 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 the bass playing and my, you know, we're we're obviously both ourselves, but we're both stretching in a way to work with each other, and I, I think that's when you get something good is when it feels slightly uncomfortable. I think I always, I always feel like after a show that feels like, oh gosh, I don't know if that was really great. I felt really uncomfortable. And I, I think it just meant I was work, firing on more cylinders because I was really working hard to make something happen. And I, I, felt, I felt that way working with Jeff. And, um, and I think he took what I was already doing and just sort of challenged me to take it somewhere else. 
And hopefully, I think I, I think I did the same with him. I actually got him to um, use his voice on one track, which I'm extremely proud of. <laughs> you, you may barely even notice it, but yeah, I had him hum along um, to a, a, a song because he he was sort of instinctively doing that as he was, he was like, oh, what if you what if you sang this line? I'm like, well, you know, you're sounding really good with this track, the timbre of your voice. So he uh, he was a little uncomfortable, but he did it, and I'm really proud of him. <laughs> Jeff Goffin's coming <laughs> <But>, debut. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but I I also really you know, obviously I'm 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 fond of um, vocals with with playing, especially unison. There's there's a Louis Clavis recording. Um, are you familiar with with him? Yes. Uh, he's yeah Louis Clavis and. Um, where he's he's humming along and i just i just love i just love that uh unison humming in jazz and in in uh, well in music interested in the way you have been talking about yourself during this interview, because when I think of you, I think of you as a, a very established musician. I mean, a person with a, an impressive track record. And, you know, when I think of you, I just think, OK, well, she's involved. It's going to be good. That kind of thing. And you refer to yourself um, often in a in a way that makes you still sound very much the student, which I guess is probably where someone should be if they're still if they're still exploring music and learning, but I'm just, I'm just curious about that. And if you have any reaction to that. Hmm. That's my initial reaction. I, I do believe, I do believe that being a student should be a lifelong pursuit. My, my mother was a, uh, she had three master's degrees and my father and her met at the University of Chicago. They were both very academic focused. And um, my grandmother was a microbiologist. And I come from an educated family of, of, that stressed the importance of learning. My mom was a single mom, and then I lived with her. And so she, she was very influential on my, on my way of being. And I also as I discovered music, the, the true teachers of my life that, that launched me into jazz. My first improv teacher was an Indian classical woman named Nancy Lesh, who taught out of Madison, Wisconsin, where I was going to school and, and living there for a few years before moving to New Orleans. And I was 19 when I took my first lesson with her, and I, I was playing Rachmaninoff sonatas by heart at that point in my classical life. She taught me 
North Indian Hindustani music and sang to me and had me play what I was hearing. And it changed my life because my ears woke up in a way that they, you know, they'd been uh, tethered to the part of my brain that was reading music and learning music in a totally different way, being dictated music. And that got me interested in improvising. Like I was bit by the bug. I was so excited. I just thought, this is the music I want. I want more of this, this, this using my, my ears and reacting to someone else and, and um, blending sounds with my environment, not just reading or being dictated what somebody has composed, but this other thing was so exciting to me. Soon after that velvet lounge in Chicago, Fred Anderson's club, I started going there and I started going to New Directions Cello Society Festival. I met Ernst Reisiger there, who is, um, we, we have a tune of his on the album. And uh, Vincent Courtois, and then all the Eric Friedlanders came into my ears, Abdul Wadud with the Julius Hemphill Orchestra. All these cellists started emerging out of jazz, and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. I need to do this. And then I moved to New Orleans, and the rest is history. I really worked hard at it, and I, I think that... Um, the the idea of having a a teacher a lifelong teacher is very big in Indian music and I think it's very big in the in the spiritual musicians I met through jazz of having sort of a lifelong teacher like uh, I'm a Coltrane student or I'm a you know and Tim Green for me just he was a, a Coltrane fanatic and um, I, I just met a lot of people that sort of had these these uh, these teachers these I want to say the word guru, even though I don't want to overuse that word, but just, just lifelong teachers, you know, and I think that's very important to have guides through life. And that, I think that coupled with uh, being, being my mom's daughter uh, really instilled a, a sense of the importance of being a lifelong student. I do embrace my role of teacher now as well. So I do both just for the record. I, I, um, I take up, I take pride in, in encouraging um, younger musicians, especially younger women musicians, but all, all younger musicians that look up to me, I really I feel uh, that privilege and also that responsibility to help guide them. So I think uh, I embrace both roles at this point in my life, um, and I do, I do feel very well established, and I feel like I'm just sort of coming into what it is I need to be doing right now, um, and even though I've done a lot, I just sort of feel like in a way it's a, uh, I feel more settled in what I'm doing and I feel more, more sure of what my sound is and, and, and uh, the direction I need to go. But I think that, I think uh, hopefully I'll always have that sense of, you know, wanting to learn because it keeps, it, it keeps working well for me as far as finding the, the new projects I need to be involved in. And um, staying, you know, uh, having a standard of of quality that I'm that I'm that keeps hopefully getting better. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting really in the mixing right now, uh, which I will tie back into this album. Mixing with David Sinko was a, an incredible learning experience. Speaking of being a student, um, that that is. Uh, one of the the things that came out of this project that was so fulfilling for me was, as you mentioned before, it sounds very full, 
and I'm using a loop pedal, which has been, you know, several signals were split to be able to give it uh, some, some width in the, in the mixing stage. And, and then of course there's cello mics and there's all the mics for Jeff and just the engineering part of it was a, a very interesting, you know, we did it ourselves in Jeff's studio, but then mix, mixing it with, with, David, who's such an incredible engineer, um, was was beautiful to honor all of those layers of sound you mentioned that I'm providing, my bass playing and the loops and and straight bowing melodies. We were able to really separate those out and honor all of those layers and all of those facets of what I'm playing live, which for me is incredibly important. And I'm I'm sort of in in that mode right now. I'm teaching myself a lot of that. I during the pandemic, I feel like I just um, was trying to continue the lesson that I learned working with David Cinco. Honestly, it's, he really had a great influence on me. So I'm answering your question about sounding like a student by sounding like a student because I think that's a very valuable place to be. Let me take a moment to thank the folks who make the jazz session possible, starting with the members who support it and also the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. Chuck Ingersoll is the voice of the intro. You can hire him at hearchucknow.com. Follow the jazz session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the jazz session. Take a second right now to rate and review the Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It greatly improves my ability to reach new listeners. And if you'd like to stay up to date on what I'm doing, my travels, my poetry, these podcasts, and more, subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Now back to the show. mentioned that you feel like you're uh, getting an idea now of what you what you need to be doing and the projects you need to be involved with can you talk about what some of those projects are what else are you are you up to these days well i i mentioned that i'm i'm teaching myself a lot of engineering right now and um i i got an artist residency in georgia this beautiful place called uh hambage center for creative arts and sciences in northern Georgia, <clears throat> and it was founded by a woman who was really into dynamic symmetry principles. I don't know uh, what that Fibonacci is. Fibonacci sequence. Oh, that I know. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, Fibonacci, golden ratio, the uh, the this golden ratio spiral, all that, um, 
all of those are part of dynamic symmetry and and in in art history you learn about it because you know uh, art uses these dynamic symmetry principles or, or especially back in the day where nature and art sort of mimic each other with with uh, spatial symmetry and anyway so i felt I got this residency. I felt very um, privileged to to be there, and I wanted to get to know her. And I got really inspired by learning about dynamic symmetry because um, I really didn't know very much about it at all before I I, I got uh, there. And I started working on a solo album inspired by her and by the space I was in. There's a beautiful Steinway piano there, and I'm by no means a great piano player, but I'm I'm I I flesh out ideas starting on the piano. So I started working on that. I had my cello rig. I had I had a math station. I was getting really into math, and I I was working on a, a Fibonacci inspired chord progression. I um I just it unlocked a lot of parts of my brain that were happily um, stimulated during that during during that residency. And what's coming out of that is a new solo album of, of songs and uh, music. And then also, um, my I have a, a budding record label myself called Tephra Sound, T-E-P-H-R-A, Tephra. And it's a volcanic ash. It's, that's what that word means. But it, it is a record label that's going to encapsulate my more improv-oriented projects, more instrumental, jazz-oriented uh, projects and I have a, a band with Nikki Glassby on drums and Brian Haas on keys and Byron Asher on saxophone, who's a local saxophonist here in New Orleans. Wonderful reed player. Um, that's going to be coming out in the next year through that label. I'm also working on a duo project with a Swiss drummer, Simon Burtz, and that is also coming out on the label. So those are three of the projects right now that I'm working on, and uh, we'll we'll see we'll see when they come out. But I, I will say that stretching um, stretching time out during this pandemic, coupled with learning sound engineering and getting more into spending more time mixing, I, I really feel like I'm composing in a different way. I'm sure many musicians have gone through a, a journey during this pandemic in that way, but. For me, it's allowed myself a, a sense of time, more contemplation and more allowing myself to just spend more time with myself while I'm composing as opposed to rushing to another gig and, and being on the move. I'm, I'm sitting with it more and I'm, I'm allowing my brain to think about the Fibonacci sequence or, or draw. I've been, I've been doing a lot of drawing and reading a lot more and just allowing my brain to go all these different places and then coming back to composing. It's been very valuable for me. So, yeah. Do you anticipate that you will do more of the mixing duties on your own label as, you know, kind of as things move along? Is that a, is that a goal you have in mind or? Yeah, well, it's just, it's happening. So I think I'm going to follow it as long as it feels, uh, Good. I, I I mixed this duo record with uh, the Swiss drummer I mentioned. Uh, the project is called Shaking Souls, and I mixed it almost entirely myself. Um, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Um, making some mistakes, but for the most part, I feel 
I feel really good because I, again, I've been doing a lot of this myself anyway, and I'm always in the studio with a sound engineer up till now, the nine albums I've self-produced, I've always been in the studio next to a sound engineer. So it's, I think it's a natural sort of transition for me. Um, so yeah, I do, I do anticipating mixing more myself, of course, t- time allowing, because I think at some point um, I'll get, I'll get, I'm already starting to get busy again, so we'll see, but I'm just enjoying it too much to, to not do more of it. So yes, the answer is yes. You talking about uh, Fibonacci sequences and you know math and its intersection with music uh, kind of puts me in mind of talking years ago with uh, Vijay Iyer on the show about the same idea. And one of the topics uh, from that conversation and just kind of over the years with folks who incorporate these elements is that there's a a different kind of freedom that can be found in the parameters of these uh, symmetries and that uh, you know, I think this applies to to many different parameters we might place on our art, but that working within some kind of structure that's imposed from the outside can help us find places that we might not have gone to just left to our own brains wiring, you know, to our own devices. And I'm curious if that resonates with you at all. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think about the simplicity and parameter of paying attention to your breath. Uh, you, a lot of people have been going into meditation just to get through this lockdown. And, um, but just truly a simple principle of trying to calm yourself down or, or bring yourself into your body and get out of your head is focusing on the breath. But a breath is a, is a form of symmetry. It's, a, it's an in and an out, and you're, it's a little lopsided for most people. <laughs> it's not exactly symmetrical and you you can you can think about the simplicity of a breath and it and the more you spend time with it the more details you may notice within within it i feel that way about my loops when i get really far into it like a whirling dervish of sound you get really into it and it unlocks something else or a you know a shaman uh sort of repetitive repetition is a form of symmetry it's a form of meditation and a form of parameter um and and of course any kind of parameter 
getting more complicated. If you, if you understand it well, spend time with it and use it well, then yes, it can, it can unlock a lot. It can unlock a lot of knowledge and a lot of freedom, a lot of possibilities. Um, I'm a huge fan of parameters. Sometimes I, I think that I, um, and people are often throwing new electronics my way or new ideas like for gear and things like this. And I'm very slow at adopting a new thing because I want to move from one. I want to know it before I move on. I want to explore all of its possibilities before I move on. Cause I, I think that um, there is so much knowledge to be learned within, within parameters. I, and it might be a learning style, but I, I do think that our, our brains are wired to be, neurologically a little bit, um, you know, to fire in a lot of different directions unless we give them some, something to latch onto, some parameters, some boundaries or, you know, different, uh, different ways of, of, of uh, structuring a thought or structuring um, an idea. I think we, we as humans need, need that to get through even a sentence, you know, I think, um, we, we need to, we were, our brains are incredible tools that also fire in a lot of different directions and it, it's good to give them something to, to latch onto, um, or something to bounce off of, you know, so I'm a fan of parameters, I guess. We're drawing to a close here, but uh, can you talk about your own uh, compositional contribution to the album? Yes. As I mentioned, Jeff wrote a lot of these compositions. I did contribute a composition of mine called Unzen, which is inspired by a Charles Mingus uh, sound. Uh, It's inspired by Charles Mingus. And he was a big influence on me because he also has classical training and he played the cello uh, for a little while in his career, and he called it the piccolo bass. And I often, in the jazz, in my jazz history, have, ha- have had the pleasure of convincing a lot of players that you know the cello is a. I, I can play the bass lines on the cello, <laughs> and I, ha- I had some fun fun moments with Jeff in that regard. I was like, let, let me let me see if I can play this bass line for you, and see you know like like just because I because I, I don't think he's worked with a lot of cello playing uh, bass lines, you know? Um, so, I, so it was, it was, uh, it was fun for me to bring that to him and we had a really good time with it. And um, so I just wanted to, I wanted to mention that. 
I have uh, I'm quite proud of myself because I have made it through the entire episode without um, despite the fact that you talked both about the breath and about your composition, which has the word Zen in the title. And I haven't gone off on a long discourse about Buddhism, which often happens in these episodes. And so I just on behalf <laughs> of the regular listeners, I just like to say I feel your pain, everybody, and I'm not going to do it this time. But let's just know that I could have done it. <laughs> And you're welcome. Uh, my guest for this episode has been Helen Gillet. Uh, the new duo. Oh, actually, you know what? Before I close out this episode, I keep referring to this as a duo album, but that is not true. There is a third musician on this album whom we have not mentioned at all, and he absolutely needs to be mentioned. So before we close out this interview, can you just uh, talk about the contributions of that other fabulous player who's on this record? Oh my gosh, yes. Okay, this was an overdub, truth be told, but it was done afterwards uh, and so excited that Roy Futureman Wooten is playing the cajon um, on two songs, on Lazy Drag Jig and on Lampsy. That was great because on Lampsy, I was drumming on the cello, which anybody that's heard me do this live knows that it's fun to watch, but it definitely sounds like a sort of a slightly broken top-end bongo hit. So we're really happy that Roy Wooten came on board and added some cajon. So thank you, Roy. Fabulous. Okay, now I feel comfortable in saying that my guest for this episode has been Helen Gillet, and the album is called Let It Shine, uh, her album with Jeff Coffin. Uh, Helen, it's it's been, first of all, it's been so long overdue to have you on the show. I've literally talked so many times to so many people about when I, the next time I get to New Orleans, Helen is the first person I'm going to interview, and I keep not getting oh there, goodness. and it is obviously possible to talk to you on the phone, and I keep failing to do that too. <laughs> so I'm so happy that this finally happened, and I really do hope you'll, you'll come back. It's been just an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Jason. And anytime, I'd love to come back. I had a pleasure uh, talking with you as well. Thanks to my guest this week, Helen Gillet. I've wanted to interview her for years. I'm so glad she was on the show this week. If you value what you just heard, please become a member for five or 10 bucks a month at the jazzsession.com slash join. Then come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.